Our first reading today comes from the Old Testament, from Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle comes from uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 32 through chapter 5, verses 2. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening... They let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never saw anything like this. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So this Advent, we're going to look at uh, four different things that we're chasing in the future. Th- four, four things that we're going after for, that God has promised us. And so uh, last week we looked at uh, uh, power. We all need power to do what's right. We all need power to get better from our sicknesses. Uh, God promises that power. Uh, we're chasing after it. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about God's presence. We There's this barrier between us and God that we all sense, even people who are super close to Jesus, sense that there's sometimes, like, you pray and it just feels like it's hitting a brick wall. God promises us that he is present with us and that he is someday going to ultimately be present with us. Uh, the last Sunday in Advent, we're going to look at uh, community. Like, uh I talked to so many of you. I, I, I sense this in my own heart too. This sense of loneliness, even when you you belong to uh, you, you know sports teams, you belong to um, uh, social groups, you belong to a church. Even those of you who who go to community group, 
Uh, there's this sense of loneliness that's always kind of lurking behind the corner. And for, for some of you, it's just on top of you, this, this idea of, like, I'm completely alone here. Uh, God promises us that he is in Jesus Christ, creating this new community. It's happening now, but we're looking forward to the future, too, when he brings it to fruition. Anyway, this week, let's talk about forgiveness. Oh, so, me, so basically, here's what I'm saying. Like, so... We talked in Philippians four at the end of Ad, at the end of Pentecost. We you know we went through the book of Philippians, and there's that bit in there about where Paul says, uh, you know, I thanks for your gift. It was great. I appreciate. It. I need the money, of course, but actually, what I really need is Jesus, because ultimately, I know how to be hungry and I know how to be full. I know how to be poor and how to be rich. I've learned in every state that I'm in to be content in that state. And so we talked about this notion of like we should be content. Right, I mean, it says it says so in the Bible. That's one of the, the last commandments that you know don't covet. Basically, means be content with God's lot for you in life. And what Advent does is Advent says there's an, it's God's permission to you to be appropriately discontented. It's God's permission to you to chase after what God wants you to chase after. I'll give you an example. Talking about we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. So, and I've told somebody this before. I've got a friend at Good Shepherd who is diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And he's in his late 50s, early 60s. His wife is just crushed by this. All of her plans for, you know, retirement and they were going to go south and they were going to play golf together. All that's kind of like disappearing now. Meanwhile, my friend, I mean, of course he's scared and he's hurt, but there's a part of him that's kind of happy. And he says, I've got so much stuff in my past that I would not mind forgetting. That I wouldn't mind just like not being in my brain all the time, poking its head up and telling me what a lousy person I am. Advent is God's promise to you to look for and to chase after forgiveness. Two different levels. We were talking about both these this morning. One is the forgiveness that God has given us in Jesus Christ. God's forgiven me of my sins. I know that. But I have to be told that all the time because, know it or not, I constantly think about what a lousy person I am. And the stuff that I've done in the past to screw up my life, to screw up my family's life, it's always there making me feel guilty. Are the guilt feelings legit? No, because the guilt itself is gone. It's been paid for by Jesus. But the guilt feelings are still there, and I honestly don't know how to get rid of them. I just can't snap my fingers and then go away. Advent gives me permission to chase after this forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. The full realization, it's already there. Jesus has already won it on the cross. But the full experience of it, where I cannot be bugged by it anymore, that's going to be a future event. It's not happening right now. Also, the forgiveness that, that God gives us in Christ for each other. Like All of us that have fractured relationships in our life People in our lives with whom there is a barrier there, maybe it's a sort of a passive barrier where there's a little bit of discomfort. Maybe it's aggressive, like I have not talked to that person, intentionally not talked to that person in three years. Maybe that's kind of where you're at. Advent gives you permission to say, that's wrong. I'm not going to live like this. By God's grace, I'm going to chase after forgiveness because Jesus has promised me that when he returns, he's going to make all these relationships new again. That's kind of what I want to talk today about in a nutshell. So let's look at the uh, gospel reading, if you would, uh, Mark chapter 2. Um, let's not read it again. 
Uh, this guy, he's uh, paralyzed. His friends bring him on this, uh, this uh, stretcher. Uh, they cut a hole in the roof of this guy's house where Jesus is at, and it's packed in with people. This is not as bizarre as it would be today. It's mud brick. Uh, cutting parts out of your house and replacing, replacing, replacing them with fresh mud brick is a common building practice in the ancient East, as it still is today, where most houses in the East are still made out of mud brick in the Near East. So it's not as bizarre as it would be if somebody cut in, cut through your shingles and then through the plywood and the, uh, the trusses and everything. But it is, it is, a, it is some work, you know, to get to Jesus. Jesus sees their faith and tells the guy, your sins are forgiven you, which is kind of strange because the guy didn't come asking for his sins to be forgiven. He came paralyzed. The people, the, the, the religious majority there say, wait a minute, you, you're not allowed to do that. Only God forgives sins. And Jesus says, ah, what do you think? You know, I could say, your sins are forgiven, or I could say, get up and walk, and it's basically, what's the difference, you know? Six and one half dozen, right? And they don't have anything to say, and Jesus says to the guy, get up and walk, and you're healed, and he is. Okay, so let's talk about Jesus forgives the guy's sins. And I want to point out three things to you about this, and the first two are just interesting, and I'm going to hit, hit you with them. And then the third thing is kind of like the, the, the main part of the sermon, right? Okay, so first of all, for Jesus... The relationship between the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the body is like this. For Jesus, it's no difference. And that's what he says to the guys. He's like that. Basically, I'm the Lord of the universe. I can forgive sins. I can create bodies. I can heal bodies. What's the difference? Because for Jesus, look, so let, let, let me just read that text to you again. So verse 8 and 9, Jesus perceives in, the, in his heart that they're upset with him for saying he forgave their sins. And in verse 9, he says, What's easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and take up your bed and walk? And what Jesus is saying is this, is that, like, first of all, he's powerful enough to do both of these things. But second of all, he's saying this, is that when God forgives our sins, it's like, so those of you who are Lutheran, you like to, so me, I like to imagine that forgiveness of sins is primarily like a wiping away of the slate that all my sins are written on. And then I'm kind of like, okay, great. Like, I'm not legally responsible before God for those sins anymore because Jesus paid for them. This is true. But that's baseline. That's forgiveness of sins 101. What Jesus is saying is this. I came to forgive sins, not just to wipe your legal slate clean, but to recreate you. To give you new life. And I love it when Luther says in the small catechism, when he talks about forgiveness of sins, he usually talks about it in terms of forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. And when you come to the rail, I try to say those words because it's easy to think of forgiveness of sins as just like, okay, you're good to go. You don't need to feel guilty anymore. And if it happens again, just ask for forgiveness again. But actually, forgiveness of sins for Jesus is a holistic, all-person healing. Some of it happens right now. Some of it will happen in the future. All of it is guaranteed to happen at some point in the new creation. But Jesus is determined to forgive this guy's sins and to heal him of all of his sicknesses and diseases. That's what God has promised you, okay? Think of it this way. This is another way to say it, maybe. Forgiveness of sins isn't just the end of your sins. It's the beginning of this new life journey of new relationships, new relationship with God, physical healing, This is not to say that if you have bad relationships that you're somehow not forgiven or that if you're physically sick, you're somehow not forgiven. I'm not saying that. We still live in a broken world. And until Jesus returns and fixes the whole thing all at once, we're going to struggle. But we get little tastes of it now. We get little bits of like 
sensing God's forgiveness now. We get little bits of healed relationship now. We get Some of you get little bits of healed bodies now. Jesus is doing that to show you that he's Lord. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. This guy gets healed because of faith. And a lot of people have questions like, what is faith? Like, what does it mean to have faith in Jesus? And Jesus explains it here. Like, faith in Jesus. Jesus forgives sins because people have faith in him. Faith in Jesus is just another way of saying, you came to Jesus. You came to Jesus. Look at verse six, Look at verse 5. So the, 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 this, this guy's friends bring him uh, to Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So verse 5, it's super clear. Jesus heals the guy because he saw, weirdly enough, not his faith. That's not what gets mentioned here. But his friend's faith to bring him to Jesus. What does it mean? that So Jesus heals him because of faith. What does it mean that Jesus saw their faith? Well, in the story, it just means that he saw that these guys brought him to him and did so in kind of like, I need this right now sort of a way. That, that's what faith is. Faith isn't this substance that you build up inside yourself where, do I believe enough or do I not believe enough? And if I don't, I'm kind of in trouble. I need to kind of like top off and get more faith in me. Faith is just coming to Jesus. Like, where do you go when you need your body healed? Do you go to the doctor? Do you go to drugs? Certainly, you're going to do some of that. But your first move needs to be to go to Jesus. Where do you go when you need your relationships healed? There's books to read about this. You can certainly come and talk to me. If you'd like, there's counselors that will help as well. But your first move needs to be to go to Jesus. Where do you go when you need your sins forgiven? There's alcohol that could help with that, maybe. Those feelings, right? Could you, you just, if you're the t- kind of tough will, t- tough, strong willed person that I'm not, you could say, you know what? I'm going to do better this week. But you're, you're actually, your first move needs to be to go to Jesus. And that's what faith is. Like, where do you go? These guys wanted their friend healed. They went to Jesus. That's faith. Jesus responds to that with healing. In this guy's case, immediately. In your case, maybe immediately. Maybe slowly, but definitely when Jesus returns and makes all things new. Third thing, and this is going to be the meat of it. Jesus is, it's going to sound like uh, Sunday school stuff at first, so just hang in there. Jesus is able to forgive sins. This is what verse 7 this guy say to, this guy say, uh, the, uh, the, the religious majority there say, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus goes along, goes on to show you, and I can do that too. Who can forgive sins but God alone? I, I've, listen, I've always read this text as saying, nobody has the authority to forgive sins except for Jesus. I think that that's true. There's something else going on here though. It's not just, Jesus is the only one who has authority to forgive sins. It's that Jesus, sorry, in their words, God is the only one who's able to forgive sins. I become, I've become convinced this year, especially the past couple months, as we, I've talked, we've talked a lot in here about forgiveness, forgiving each other. I've become convinced, like it's impossible to forgive somebody. It's impossible. You just can't do it. And the, re- the reason why is, is because in order to, to, to really forgive somebody, you have to do two things, two things which are mutually exclusive, which cannot be done at the, sa- at the same time. You have to act towards that person in justice. That means you have to recognize that what that person has done is wrong and is damaging and needs to be paid for. And simultaneously, you have to act towards that person in mercy. 
all the wrong things that need to be paid for, you have to let them go. These two things. It's just not possible to forgive somebody. Because it's we can do one or the other, right? You can act in justice. You can act in mercy. But you can't do both at the same time. So let me give you an example. These are extreme examples. Let me give you an example of what it would be like to act in mercy without reference to justice. To completely let something go. There's uh, famously, there's this letter that Mahatma Gandhi, you guys uh, know who that Gandhi is. He was one of the political leaders and spiritual leaders uh, in uh, India in, in the first half of the 20th century. And he famously, at the outset of World War II, he famously wrote a couple of letters to Hitler saying, look, you could stop this war if you would just not attack any more countries. He also less famously wrote a letter, an open letter to the British public on July 3rd, 1940, published in newspapers that has not got as much traction. And I'll tell you why, because it says some stuff that people just disregarded as loony talk. Here's the letter. I'm quote part of the letter to you. Uh, Gandhi said this, and he's talking to the Brits, and he's saying, your soldiers are doing the same work of destruction as the Germans. Your soldiers are just as guilty as the Germans because they're just compounding violence on each other. Instead, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fight Nazism without weapons. And now the question is going to be raised. If we fight without weapons, we're going to lose. They're going to conquer us and take over England. They're going to turn England into a German territory. And Gandhi says, yes, about that. I want you to let them take possession. I'm, I'm quoting here. I want you to let them take possession of your beautiful island with your many beautiful buildings. If these gentlemen, he's talking about Nazis, of the German army, choose to occupy your homes, you will vacate them. If they do not give you free passage out, you will allow yourself, man, woman, and child, to be slaughtered. But you will refuse to owe allegiance to them. You will give them all of these, but neither your souls nor your minds. And all of you say... That's not going to work, right? Like, if we just let Hitler take us over and say, we surrender, you're in charge. Gandhi's point is a very Hindu point, by the way. By by by, by turning violence back against the person who's violent, violent toward you, you don't get rid of violence, you just magnify it. And even if you beat Hitler, he still wins because you have to be violent to do it. Instead, you as a human should choose to absorb violence into yourself peacefully. And by doing that, you dissipate it. Now, I think this is, I don't want to get into Hinduism too much here, but I think this is wrong because evil, evil can't be absorbed. Like, you can't get rid of evil by absorbing it. Hitler will not stop being evil just because you surrender to him. I think he's wrong. But, here's another reason why he's wrong. Because there's something deep in the heart of each one of you, and probably every single member of the British Empire who read that open letter, that says, there's something fundamentally wrong about that. Like, we value mercy, maybe, I don't know, yes, but that's not just. It's not just to let evil have its way. See, that's mercy acting without justice. And you can do that on your own small scale, right? You have, you have problems with uh, relationships that you have, whether at work or at home, and you can choose to say, I'm just going to let it go. I'm just going to let them run right over me. But there's something inside of you that says that's not going to work, and it's not even right, because it doesn't recognize the evil of what they've done to me. You can act in justice too, right? Without mercy. It's like every good revenge movie is about this. If you've watched the Godfather trilogy, which if, which if you haven't, that's your homework this week. You, you should. This is the way Michael Corleone lives his life, right? If you hurt me, I'm going to come back at you sevenfold. And what does it do to his life? A life without mercy ends in 
not to spoil it, and I don't mind spoiling Godfather 3 because that's frankly not a very good movie. His daughter gets killed, and he dies kind of a lonely, embittered old man. A life without mercy is just a life of violence and bitterness. And maybe we're not talking like mafia-level stuff where you're killing people. Maybe we're talking like you're the kind of person who goes around looking for fights. You're the kind of person who always has to be right about everything. And so there's 15 different people in this room right now that you don't get along with because they're wrong and you're right and you know it. That's a really, really good way to end up lonely and bitter and miserable and probably have some sort of nerve or heart problem. Also, it's not just that, but there's something about you that knows that that's wrong. You feel the weight of that bad kind of life. You've chosen a life of justice. I'm not saying that you're not right or wrong at the expense of a life of mercy. But when you try to put the two together and live, you'll find that you just can't do it. You can try to, and you'll find yourself bouncing back and forth between the poles of justice and mercy, and it just doesn't work. But of course, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is the one who manages to make, as the Psalms say, justice and mercy kiss. Jesus manages to acknowledge the depravity of all the evil and brokenness in the world, including my evil and brokenness. He doesn't say it's not, he doesn't say it's not, it's not a big deal. That's not what the cross is about, is like, you're sorry for your sin. Okay, that's fine. We'll just overlook it. He fully embraces the weight of our sin and pays the price for it. And at the same time, does it in a way where he can be completely merciful. In fact, let us sometimes run roughshod over him because he forgives that sin. He does those two things. Okay, now most of you who are believers, not all of you, but most of you, those of you who are Christians, you believe this, that Jesus has managed to forgive us because Jesus has managed to act justly and to act merciful, mercifully, perfectly, infinitely, and simultaneously. But now we get to the problem. It doesn't just end there. That would be a good Lutheran sermon just to end there with Jesus paying for your sins. And it would be a perfectly legit sermon too. But now we got to go to the epistle reading where Paul says, now you guys got to do this for each other. Okay, it's not possible, but Jesus did it. And so now you do it too. Look at Ephesians 4 and 5. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted. Check out this line here. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I used to, this is kind of like the Mark passage. I used to think that this meant I need to forgive people and they need to forgive me because Jesus forgave us. And then there's a problem is that it's impossible. I just can't forgive you. I can let you run over me or I can judge you. Those are my two options. Or try to like ride somewhere in the middle where I'm constantly kind of balancing on that bike. But I don't think it means Forgive each other because Jesus forgave us. I think that what this phrase means, forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. I think here's what it means. Forgive one another just like. As means just like. Forgive one another just like God and Christ forgave us. I'm about to say some stuff that's really hard. So like, don't at me. How do you do this? Well, in Ephesians 5, he goes on to explain... How did Jesus do this? Look at verse 2. He loved us and gave himself up for us. Later on in Ephesians 5, he's going to say to husbands, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If we're going to forgive each other like Jesus forgave us, and you can only do this if you know Jesus and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, it means you're going to forgive each other like Jesus. How did Jesus do it? He took our sins upon himself so that he could be merciful. So I'm saying this is hard. I want you to remember this. 
Every part of you is going to fight against this because every part of me is going to fight against this. But this is exactly what Ephesians 4 and 5 is saying. You want forgiveness to happen? You're going to have to take that person's sin. You're going to have to insist that it's evil and that it must be punished. And then in the name of Jesus, you're going to have to take that punishment on yourself. You're going to have to live with the sense that this person is getting away with the wrong that they did to me. And I myself will embrace the punishment. Look, so here, so, so Shannon and I get in a fight. And we're angry at each other and there's this wall between us. And I decide I'm going to forgive her. Here's the way I would do this outside of Jesus. I would say, I'm just going to ignore. There's no more friction, but it's because we're not communicating with each other anymore, right? Who's suffering here? We figured out a way for neither one of us to really suffer. Shanna goes her way, I go my way, and nobody really suffers. But that's not Christian forgiveness. Christian forgiveness is to embrace the pain that I or Shanna have caused each other and to carry it myself on my shoulders. It's, a lot of you know this story. I just, it's, I'm just going to say it again. A lot of you know that like in my adult life, before I was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, like I abandoned the faith. I abandoned the Christian faith and I abandoned my family. Do you know why I'm here today? It's because Angela decided I'm going to forgive him and she was going to do it biblically. Angela has always insisted that what I did to her and the family was morally reprehensible and needed to be judged. But she never insisted that I be the one to pay for the sins that I had done to hurt her. I can't even make eye contact with her right now because it would break me. Like she always carried that pain herself. She decided if he's going to get forgiven, it's going to have to be like Jesus forgave him. And that means that I'm going to have to be Jesus to that guy who's running like crazy from Jesus. And so what she did is she took the pain that I caused her and impossibly carried that on her own shoulders. She paid for it for our family. I've not paid for it. Do I feel guilty sometimes? Yes. Did I experience the pain of abandonment? Never. Did she experience the pain of my abandon her? Yes. And did it in the name of Jesus. And I wouldn't be alive today. I wouldn't even be standing in this room today. For sure would not be in church anywhere today if she hadn't done this. Look, this is only possible if you know Jesus and you know what it's like to meet justice and mercy face-to-face simultaneously at the foot of the cross. It's been given to us, that gift of complete forgiveness, the promise that God holds nothing against us, that he accepts you completely, no questions asked for the sake of his son Jesus, but also the promise that he can do the same thing through us for each other. Because God forgave us in Christ, we can forgive each other. Amen.